You are listening to Stitchwish Radio, a podcast for crafting your own magic and threads. I'm your host, textile artist, author, and teacher, Christy Johnson. Hey there, and welcome back to Stitchwish Radio. So today I want to talk about the creative process. And I say that while knowing that the process of developing artwork looks completely different for everyone. And I by no means want to give any sort of prescriptions to a process that is so much at its heart an intuitive feeling. But I do find it really interesting to talk with other artists and makers about their process, which is, I mean, it's the whole reason I started this podcast. And through that, I feel like we can all sort of start to learn new methods to introduce into our own work. So this episode is based on a um, a couple questions that I was asked by a student in a recent course I taught. Um, I was asked about my own personal creative process and how I found myself merging my spirituality into my artwork and my art practice. Um, And I shared these answers with them in a live Q&A session, but I was kind of surprised at how well I was able to put these feelings into words. And so I wanted to share here what I had to say about that. So for me, my personal practice starts with, or my personal artistic practice starts with my sketchbook. And so my sketchbook becomes this like depository of imagery. So I'm trying to always touch back to a sketchbook. I have like three sketchbooks going at any one given time. Um, I have a small one that I can carry with me if I were to ever leave the house. Um, I have a bigger one that's like 14 by 11. And that's really great for kind of brain dumping, like when I feel like I have a lot of thoughts in my head and a lot of imagery kind of floating around, I find that large scale paper to be really helpful. Um, And then I have a sketchbook that is best for watercolors. So if I want to just kind of like do some watercolor doodles, which is also a big part of my um, personal artistic process is like just doodling with watercolors, I have a separate sketchbook for that because the paper takes the paints really well. So my sketchbook, I try and touch back with it and come in with little details that I notice or maybe, you know, a compositional arrangement that strikes me or anything that I see over the course of my days that I kind of want to put a pin in. And to the point where if you were to look at any of these sketchbooks, it would just be like, what in the world's going on here? Like there's not a whole lot of continuity (laughs) or a whole lot of clarity in it. But for me, it all makes sense because I like to then pull imagery from those sketchbooks. And so I'm not, I never really try and translate an idea that I have in my head immediately to a piece of art. It usually goes through a number of stages. So it gets recorded in my sketchbook and then I just kind of move on with my day. And then I will oftentimes go back to my sketchbook. I'm in a place, a time where I'm like, okay, I've got five hours or whatever. I've got the rest of the day and I have some free time where I can work on some of the things that I want to create, you know, work on some new designs. I'll go back through my sketchbook and just start pulling out little elements here and there and drawing new designs from these old concepts that I have. Another great way that I find inspiration besides just my daily life is I love books. I'm like, I have so many books um, and I just cannot help but get more. Um, I love image rich books to start to find inspiration outside of stitching and outside of the internet and in the physical world. Just having a book in my hands um, really is hugely inspiring to me. So, I mean, these books are everything from, you know, herbalism to mythology to archaeology. And usually the method of like, which book do I look at is just kind of allowing myself to be drawn to a book. And so 
you know, I'll go, let's say I have a little bit of time and I'm like, oh, I, I want to kind of, you know, I'm feeling the itch for some new ideas. I just go to the bookshelf and I grab whatever pops out at me like, oh, this Calder book and, you know, this book on creativity or this other book on this, you know, it doesn't necessarily always have to be image rich books. Sometimes reading words can really help me start to come up with images. So, you know, whatever, basically whatever you're drawn to that like intuitive pull towards a book, I never deny that. (laughs) Um, Another big part of my personal practice, especially if I've been working really hard or taking care of a lot of things, um, you know, sort of in the business, in the day to day of my business is getting still and quieting the mind and, you know, closing my eyes and just seeing what comes up. Once I get, usually what comes up first is like a grocery list (laughs) or like, oh, I got to ship that thing or, oh, I meant to clean that thing or, you know, whatever it is. Once I get all of those out of the way, it's usually about five minutes of just crap coming up that I've otherwise forgotten about. Then I start to sort of find new imagery and new ideas coming through. Um, And one of the things that I say, you know, that I like to encourage people to do is like sometimes the things that I see, the things that come up, like don't necessarily make sense or maybe they're a little bit weird or maybe I'm like, I don't I don't know how that's going to turn out. But I try to not be a judge of these things that are coming up in my mind. And that's the sort of thing. I'll record them in my sketchbook. And it's like, it might not make sense to me now. But who knows, six months from now, when I'm looking through my sketchbook, and I have this idea brewing, and I, I haven't quite nailed it totally, that thing that didn't make any sense at the time might totally pull this together and really start to help me come through with a finalized vision. So that's, I think, that sort of like acceptance of whatever it is that's coming up when you're in those moments of stillness can be really helpful. So when I finally make some time for myself to actually make, actually create, to actually bring these ideas and these concepts and these visions into a more cohesive structure that can then be channeled into a work of art, I usually do this work on a scrap piece of paper or like the backside of a junk mail or something like that. Um, Because I like to have a piece of paper that's outside of my sketchbook to complete these ideas. And as I'm developing the composition for something, I try and see a balance between the boldness of an outline, the boldness of line, the solid forms being filled in, um, or various textures. So I start to work with these balance of line, shape, and texture these these visual elements to combine them in a way that feels aesthetically pleasing for me. And most importantly, I don't try and force any concepts intellectually. I let intuition and intellect balance each other. And sometimes I don't know why I'm adding something until the work is done. Sometimes it's like an enti- it seems like a purely aesthetic reason. But as I'm finishing the work, I'm like, oh, wow, that actually really, you know, I, I see how this moves the eye up here and that tells the story in a much stronger way. And so if I get a sudden urge to, you know, turn that flower into a bird (laughs) or something, just give you a random example, then I try it out. I see how it looks. And I'll sketch that in or sketch it on another piece of paper and then put it on top of the sketch that I have. And then as much as I try and work with these planning stages off of a computer and off of my phone and like, you know, kind of get away from the digital world, to plan my artwork because it's so physical. 
oftentimes when I get to that end of the designing process, I like to do my color layouts using the markup tool on the iPhone. <laughs> so I just take a photo of my sketch and then I use the markup tool. It's just like a little, when you go to your photo, there's like a little thing where you can go to the markup tool. And basically I'm just drawing and coloring on top of my sketch with the colors that are somewhat near what I want to do. Um, so I find that to be really helpful to just get an idea of how the colors are going to be working within it without having to actually sit there and paint out all the colors. Um, so it helps me get these ideas in motion and helps me get inspired and see a finished vision, which really helps me to move forward and want to get the work done. <laughs> and I think that's a really important part of it is when we don't necessarily have a really strong vision of what we're doing, sometimes that's fine. Sometimes we don't necessarily need a strong vision, but I do find having that little thumbnail sketch can be really, really great in helping encourage me to move forward and helping me choose my fabrics and helping me choose the colors that I'm going to be working with and kind of get a little more clarity on what I'm working on. So that's sort of how the initial stages of my creative process goes. And then from there on out, it's just sort of very similar to how I've been talking about this entire time where I just like kind of allow things to happen as they'd like to. And if things aren't necessarily working, I make it okay to pivot. Like it's one of those life lessons where like if something's not working, don't try and force it. And in that way, I see my creative process really reflected in the way that I approach life. And I see it really encouraging these new ways of thinking about life and new ways of thinking about the way that we interact with our life and the situations that we encounter through our life. So this is sort of where the merging of my art, artistic practice and my own personal spirituality starts to come up. Come up. So when I, you know, started learning how to make art, which happened a very long time ago, I feel like we're always making art. There's never like, I'm never, you're never learning how to make art. We're just doing it. Um, but when I was in high school, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, I went to a magnet arts high school and I studied painting. And so I was often, you know, I was, my art was attempting to be artistic, which is like, I feel like a huge failure um, of arts education is like art can just be for the sake of being. It doesn't need to be incredibly conceptual. It doesn't need all of this sort of, doesn't need all those words behind it, basically. I say that as I'm speaking all these words. But anyways, so, you know, my art in the earlier stages of my adulthood was often really derivative. And I don't say that as an insult to my younger self. I just say that as, you know, the reality of what I, how I was working and sort of how I thought you were supposed to work. And honestly, I was just I was playing around with different styles and I was emulating some of my favorite artists. And I don't think there's anything wrong with this, especially as we are beginning to learn. We are really just processing the information, this visual information that we're getting. We're processing it through our own hands. And I think one of the quotes that comes to mind, I don't know who said it, but it's basically copy until it feels right. And I think that that's totally fine, if, you know, especially if you're learning a new skill or something like being able to just copy somebody else's work helps you to understand how they got there. And it helps you, especially if you're not necessarily being taught um, in person by somebody. It can help you to understand how the technique works. And I think that's totally acceptable. Obviously, don't try and pass it off as your own. But I think that it really is copying is a form of processing technique. It's a form of processing color. I mean, it's, it's a form of learning. 
But as my style evolved and as my work evolved and I grew up, I started to want to speak in my own voice. I started to want to speak through my work with something specific that I had to say that only I could say. Um, And I found that to be a little bit hard. You can't teach somebody that, basically. Um, And so for me, that was found through the process of meditation. And it wasn't intended to be that way. I just was very stressed out um, working in the fashion industry. And um, I was working for somebody, you know, it was like, we would work seven day weeks for 12 hour days. And I had to at one point, ask for my birthday off. And my birthday was on a Sunday, mind you. (laughs) And I had to request that day off of my birthday, not so that I could celebrate, because I, but because I needed to move from one tiny LA apartment to another. But basically, while I was working at this job, there was a yoga teacher that would come in every Wednesday night. And a lot of the times, not many of the employees that worked there would take the yoga class. And I, as the you know low-level assistant to the assistant designer was like, hey guys, we should really be taking advantage of the fact that this yoga teacher is here, mostly because I wanted to get out of work for an hour. (laughs) But as I started taking these yoga classes, I was like, wow, I feel a lot better and I'm able to manage the stress of this job way better when I take these medita- you know, when I take these yoga classes and when I sit in meditation at the end of these classes. Not only that, but my boss was a lot nicer afterwards. So um, that was sort of my segue into working with yoga and working with meditation, it was really just, it was something that was there. And so I took advantage of that. So then yoga and meditation became a more regular part of my life. And meditation became a way of, it wasn't just about getting slow and still, it was also a way of um, accepting things not working or accepting the way that things are. Um, And so For me, meditation is an amazing place to step into and access different parts of ourself where we're like, oh, okay, wow, that's actually how I feel about this thing that happened. And it really came up during that time. I think a lot of the times, um, at least that's what it is for me. I think a lot of the times I was taught that meditation is a time to, you know, quiet your mind and just let the thoughts go and don't think anything. And I, I don't necessarily, that didn't really work for me in that way. More than anything, meditation allowed the thoughts that were actually important to come to the surface as all of these surface thoughts of just like to do, to do, to do, were able to fall away a little bit more. And so that became really important for me and is still really important to me. And I also find that for me, the act of closing my eyes, even if, you know, even if you're not into meditation for whatever reason, um, even just closing your eyes can really, really help access a whole lot of personal information and personal visions and things that are really exclusive to your existence. And the way that I think of this is like, you know, when you smell a flower and you kind of can't help but close your eyes while you do it, or when you're eating really good food and you're you're savoring those flavors so much that like your eyes close and you're just, you almost can't even hear anything around you. All you can experience is that sensation of amazing taste. Um, I feel like closing our eyes allows our other senses to strengthen. And if we think of our intuition as a kind of sixth sense, then we can consider that closing our eyes allows that sixth sense, that intuition to get a little bit stronger and allows us to to tap into ourselves a little bit deeper. So it really helps you to open up to these new ideas, new experiences. And as I was saying, meditation really helps us with acceptance 
um, for whatever reason, that kind of calming of the mind, it's kind of like, oh, if something doesn't work out, like it's going to be okay. Um, I'm for the most part going to live through it. And so I find that when we start to become more accepting of things not working out, it starts to trickle into the rest of our life. And we our our tolerance for failure is increased. That's the best way I can think to describe it. So we start to become okay with something not working out on smaller scales. It's it's almost like it doesn't even matter. You know, if I try to applique some fabric into some design and I'm like, oh, that didn't really work out. It doesn't mean anything about me. And it also doesn't mean that I wasted time. It doesn't mean anything except for I learned something new about this technique that I just tried. And as I increased my tolerance for failure, this allowed more room for experimentation. So I was able to start to go, oh, well, what if I did this without worrying about it not working? So now we've got these layers of acceptance of things not working, increasing your tolerance for failure, allowing room for experimentation. And all of this is about reducing the judgment of my own work. And by reducing that judgment, this allows me to be a clearer channel for images to come through. If I'm not sitting there going, well, what the hell does that mean? Or, oh, this doesn't make any sense. What am I doing? This allows for more to come through, and I don't always know what it's about as it's happening, and that's kind of not even the point. Um, And that's kind of where the magic really comes in for me, and that's why I love and I so delight in the process of making artwork is because things start to make sense as they are coming through my hands. They don't make sense in the sketch necessarily, they start to make more and more sense through the application of materials. And I find that to just be true magic. I I just find that to be such an incredible part. So I wanted to leave you with a few ideas about opening up creatively for your own work. And again, as I mentioned, like I'm not trying to make any prescriptions here. I just love talking about this. And I always find when I hear other people talk about their own ways of opening up creatively that it really sparks new ideas within me. Um, So I want to provide that to you as well. So first of all, that this idea of um, this balance, this sort of scale, uh, the spectrum of forcing something to happen versus allowing something to flow. Now, obviously, if we are making something in the physical world, there is an amount of movement of of motion that needs to happen. And so we can't just sit in the allowing. So I say forcing versus allowing, but really in my mind, it's like, it's more of a spectrum, just like any other kind of binary. We have a spectrum forcing, kind of forcing, kind of forcing and allowing, <laughs> um, and then just sitting there and doing nothing. And, ex- and, and you know, the, the extreme of allowing being Um, not actually getting anything done, just expecting it to kind of happen. So I think it's really beautiful to balance out these, this forcing versus allowing. And so allowing being more of um, allowing the materials to do what they want to do, allowing it to be easier, allowing it to, you know, to not try and force a material to act in a way that it's not necessarily going to act, like trying to get a denim fabric to be scrunched up in this like delicate little ruffle, you're kind of forcing it. Um, And there are some points where it's fun to push the materials and see what you can make it do. But there's also a point where you have to kind of listen to the materials and say like, what are the intrinsic qualities of this material? 
And this brings to mind a quote from, okay, well, it's a quote from Herbert Dreyfus and Sean Durance Kelly's All Things Shining, but the quote is pulled from Cal Newport's book, Deep Work. Um, the quote is, the task of a craftsman is not to generate meaning, but rather to cultivate in himself the skill of discerning the meanings that are already there. And that, for me, reading that quote actually did feel wildly liberating, where it was like, oh, it's not about, I don't constantly need to be making meanings. The meanings are there already. The natural world, these natural materials, the world that surrounds us has enough meaning in it that I don't need to be forcing the things that I'm creating to, to to try and teach you something or to try and describe something. So I don't know, take with that what you will, but I just found that to be a really beautiful sort of view of creation and of creating work in the world. All right, back to opening up creatively. So another thing that I've kind of touched on a lot here, but accepting that sometimes things don't work at as planned, or sometimes they don't work at all, really. So I have a pile of failed attempts, uh, you know, f- different tests of things, and even like entire garments that just failed entirely. And I love being able to dig back through this pile and find the absolute perfect placement on a work of art for that piece that I thought was a total failure or that I thought was a total waste of time. And also even just seeing these pieces and even if I can't use it for a work of art, being like, wow, I am so glad that I learned on that scale (laughs) that that technique didn't work for me or that that method wasn't right for that fabric. And for me, this idea that everything that we do feeds into the art that we are going to make in the future, this idea that everything that we are learning today is going to educate us on what we need to do tomorrow um, makes it so much more, makes the process so much more important than the actual results. And all of this reminds me of the Sufi story of Fatima the Spinner. And I think it's, I think it's called Fatima the Spinner and the Tent. So the story is that Fatima is the daughter of a skilled spinner, and they go on a journey out to sea for whatever reason. Business, love, whatever it was, the father needs to go on a journey out to sea. They are shipwrecked. She loses her father in the shipwreck, and she washes ashore, finding herself in the care of a family of weavers. They take her in, they teach her their craft, but soon after she is captured and sold into slavery. She is sold to a mast builder, a tent pole builder, and as she is working for this tent pole builder, she's learning all the skills, learning this totally new skill. She had been doing spinning and weaving before then. This is totally different. Um, And while she's working for this tent pole builder, I'm sorry, in, enslaved by this tent pole builder, she goes out to sea again on a ship with the cargo. And dear God, why all these ships? And there is another shipwreck where she lands in China. And she washes ashore again to a place where there is an emperor who, I guess, needs tents, doesn't know how to make tents. No one in this town knows how to make tents. So Fatima spins the flax, she weaves the flax into the tent, she builds the masts, these tent poles, and having witnessed so many tents on her travels, she constructs a tent out of these skills learned during some of the hardest times of her life, these skills that helped her get by. And 
because he is so grateful of now having this tent knowledge and having the ability to have tents to live in, the emperor offers her whatever her heart desires. And I just love this story. Despite all of the tragedies in it, she learns that all of the skills that she had to constantly kind of reassess her life for ended up being what brought her to her most sort of magnum opus of an experience. This idea that where she was able to finally bring them all together, merge them all together and allow them to be something greater than their individual parts. And I just find that to be such an amazing metaphor for our own existence and our own ability to take these, all the kind of crap that we make on our daily basis and start to spin it into something much more important and something much more meaningful in our own lives. So That is all for today. Thank you all so much. And I will be back next week. And I'm going to have a couple of interviews lined up for September that I'm really looking forward to. I'm very excited. And I'm not going to tell you who it is yet. But um, it's very exciting. Oh, and if you're listening to this before Thursday, August 19th, I also just want to let you know that my Softwork Intuitive Garment Design course is still open for enrollment until Thursday or until the class fills up. We are... Uh, I think three quarters of the way full. So if you wanted to take that class, be sure to sign up now. Um, I'm going to be bringing the class back in January. So if you're listening to this episode after Thursday, August 19th of 2021, then just be sure to sign up for the newsletter to find out when the course goes live for enrollment again. Enrollment's usually open for about a week. So kind of a small window there. And if you're already signed up for the course, I cannot wait. And I will be all up in your inbox with all sorts of fun new materials for the class. All right. Thanks so much and have a good week. Bye.